There we go. All right, every service. We're going we're gonna to get into the third service, I promise. I am Joe. It's my opportunity this morning to come and to spend some time teaching God's Word and studying it with you. And I just going to say, welcome. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this all week long. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining with us. And if you're here and you didn't remember the time change and you thought you were coming to the 8 o'clock service, we're glad you're here anyhow. Come on in. Hope you had time to get a donut and a cup of coffee, but we're glad you're getting to join in with us. And as you saw from the video, we're back in the second week of this series called Jesus is Greater Than. Last week we opened up and we talked about how Paul wrote a letter to a church in a place called Colossae, and they were facing all kinds of really big problems. We called them greater thans. But all throughout this letter that we're studying, we're seeing that Jesus is greater than all of those problems that they were facing, and Jesus is greater than the issues that we're facing in our lives. And as we get started, I want to invite you, would you just join with me in prayer? We're going to ask Jesus to teach us this morning. Jesus, we come before you. We ask that you will just teach us. Teach us from your word. We want to know your truth. We live our weeks in a world that we're told so many messages. We don't know what to believe. But God, we know every time we turn to your word, we can find truth. I pray that today you will give us truth that we can know and that we can live out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So a little bit about me. Um, I have two sons. Nine and seven. Easton is my oldest. Ashton is my youngest. And as a dad raising boys, I have what I would call proud dad moments. They also happen to be the same things my wife would usually call my husband is ridiculous moments. A couple years ago, we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we had a proud dad moment. Lancaster's known for a lot of things. If you've ever been there, there are these really quaint shops and markets to visit. There's sight and sound theater. There is obviously an Amish population there, but my favorite thing about Lancaster, because I'm a food person, is the buffets. And this trip was extra special because it was the first time we were taking my oldest son to a buffet. And I was so excited for him. And so we were hyping it up the whole way out there. I was telling you it's going to be amazing. There's everything you like, chicken fingers and spaghetti and bread and salad and, of course, ice cream. And the best part for him was, I said, you can eat whatever you want. I don't care. If you want to have apple pie for an appetizer, go ahead. If you want to have jello for your main course, go ahead. If you want to eat a loaf of bread and that's it, go ahead. So we get to the restaurant. And I'm so excited. And, and, and I, I figure before we go in there, there's, he needs to know something. So I, I lean down and, and I give him the talk. Not that talk. That, the buffet talk. <laughs> Not there yet. Son. You're about to embark on a journey. And many buffet goers before you have faced the dilemma you're about to face. You see, inside that door, there's a whole lot of food. But you can't eat everything. You can eat a whole lot of just a few things. Or you can eat just a little bit of a whole lot of things. But you can't eat a whole lot of a whole lot of things. So, son, the choice is yours. Choose wisely. <laughs> and he looks at me like, Dad, can we... I'm hungry. Can we eat now? My wife's like, our show starts in an hour. Can you wrap this up? But I say that because today we're in Colossians chapter 1 again, and we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. And if there was ever a passage in Scripture that is a theological buffet, it is what we're going to study today. It's just six verses. It's pretty short. But contained within this small section of Scripture are some of the biggest ideas that God wants us to know. The ideas of creation, 
the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the image of God in man, the church and the theology of it, life, death, and the resurrection. It is far more than in one sitting we can consume together today. So we're faced with a choice, just like I faced and my son faced at that buffet. Are we going to eat just a little bit of a lot of different things? Or are we going to take one big portion and dive deep? Well, today I've had to make a choice, and so I've chosen the first approach. In this section, we are going to look at small portions of some really big ideas, but we won't be able to consume or take in everything that's there. We're going to look at three different servings or three different ideas that we can apply to our life. But I just want you to know this is a much richer, much deeper passage that we're going to have time to dive into today. So with that in mind, I want to invite you, would you turn in your Bibles or take out your mobile devices and, and pull up Colossians chapter 1. We're also going to put it on the screen behind me. You can follow along there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, the Son, and, and Son is capitalized, it's Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, if you were in that church in Colossae and you were reading this in the original language and you understood the language, you would notice that in this point in the letter, Paul shifts from this direct letter writing style to more of a rhythmic flow that scholars ha have understood that Paul is actually writing a worship song here. It, it was a song that would have presumably been sung in those early church gatherings. And it's almost like if Paul is saying, you know what, I, I want to give you something very portable. I want to give you a song that you can not just know in your head, but when you're going through your day, you can be singing it out because these truths are so foundational to what we believe that I want you to be able to know it and carry it with you. So if this passage is a buffet of theology, there is one serving that is at every single station. There's a word that appears in this passage throughout it, over and over and over again. It can be a little bit tough to see when we're reading just black words on a white page, but when we highlight it, when we highlight it, it really pops out. That is the word all. All appears all throughout Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And Paul's making a point. Just a little Bible reading tip. When you're reading your Bibles and you know, and you see that there's something repeated, that's, that's a scripture writer's way of emphasis. They didn't have bold text or, or Twitter then to capture the big idea, so they would use repetition. And Paul is saying that there is not a single thing, not a single thing in our universe or in our culture, in our church, or even in your life, that Jesus is not greater than because Jesus is greater than all. And that's the big idea of this passage, and that's the big idea of today. And with that in mind, Jesus is greater than all. We're going to dive into our first portion from this passage. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes this, For in him, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In looking at this today, I want to do something a little bit risky. I want to look at this section through modern science as a confessed non-science expert. There's a field of science called cosmology. Not cosmetology. That's like the process of making somebody look prettier. That's something you do not want my advice on. Cosmology, though, is the field of science that studies the origin or the development of the universe. And, and Paul is making a cosmological statement here. He's saying, when you consider the universe and all that's around us, I want you to know that in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. He's saying, in all things have been created in this universe... By Jesus. It's, it's a restatement of the first verse in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This statement teaches us that there was a point when there was nothing. No universe at all. And then there was a beginning when there was a huge, infinitely powerful event that brought everything that we know in our universe into existence. Time and space and matter began out of nothing. Now, now some would say, well, that's what creationists believe. And that's what I thought for a while, that just creationists believe this. But then I did a little bit more digging, and I realized that this idea that the universe didn't exist and there was a powerful event that brought everything that we know into existence out of nothing is actually what most of modern science believes in, in a theory that's called the Big Bang Theory. I, I, I want to share this with you. This is from a reputable physics website called phys.com or phys.org. This is what physics would say about the Big Bang. It says, all of the current and past matter in the universe came into existence at the same time. In other words, there was a point when there was no universe. There was nothing. And at this time, all matter was compacted into a very small ball. Just a small point. Smaller than anything you could see with the human eye. And then... The small ball with infinite density and intense heat called a singularity. Suddenly the singularity began expanding. There was an incredibly powerful event. And the universe as we know it began. The point where there was no universe, a beginning, incredibly powerful event, something came out of nothing. Now, I want to be really, really clear. Uh, I'm not saying that the Big Bang Theory and the creationist view of the universe always agree with each other. In fact, there are some big points of disagreement, especially when it comes to the timing of things. But I want you to know that if you have bought into the lie that if I follow Jesus, well, then I have to reject most of science, it's just not true. In fact, when you study the Bible, you're going to find that there's much in Scripture that agrees with much in science. They're far more compatible than you might imagine. However, there are some things that science can't teach us. For instance, science can't explain what caused the universe to come into existence. In fact, if you look at science, because they assume that there is no God, many scientists, they would say, well, it's a statistical fluke. It, it, it was like a borderline miracle. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. Well, Christians take the word borderline miracle and just throw out the word borderline. And we say, we have an explanation. It was a miracle. In fact, Paul tells us that in Jesus, or through him, all things have been created. Jesus is the one who created the universe. 
Christian apologist Gregory Kukul says, okay, let's say that there is a Big Bang. A Big Bang still needs a Big Banger. And Paul is saying that Jesus, Jesus is the Big Banger. Jesus is the infinitely powerful one that caused the universe to come into existence. But, but more than that, let's say that science really could explain everything behind what caused the universe. It still is not able to explain why we are here. The explanation of what doesn't give a why. Have you ever wondered, why are you here? Maybe you don't wonder too much about what is here. It's undeniable that we live in a universe. But you know, why, why am I here? What's my purpose? Paul says that not only did Jesus create the universe, but everything in the universe, including you and I, were created for him. Any search for meaning in your life that leaves Jesus out is going to fall short. It will be incomplete and unsatisfactory. Jesus is the who and the why the universe was created. It's almost too simple, actually, when you think about it. But let's say, okay, even if you don't believe this, imagine it's true. You're pretty comfortable imagining things that you don't believe are true. Like, for instance, a lot of us have bought treadmills and said, I'm going to get in shape. We've imagined that. For most, it's not true. If Jesus is truly the one who created the universe, then that means that he is greater than anything in this universe. He's greater than any throne, any power, any ruler, any authority. He's greater than any pain, any problem, any prognosis, any president, any political party, any person, any power, because Jesus is greater than all. And those of us who follow Jesus have a relationship with the one who has more influence and more power than anything and everything else combined in our universe. You see, anytime we talk about creation, uh, somebody will think or usually say to me something along the lines of, you see, that's, that's the problem. That's why people don't believe in God. It's because all they teach in school is evolution. And th that probably has some merit. But... I think there's a bigger problem than ninth grade science. Church, church family, I, I would say that we, we can be the problem sometimes. And here, here's what I mean. See, as Christians, we're going to say, we believe Jesus is greater than all. We believe that by his word, just spoken, he brought the universe into existence. We believe he has that kind of power. But then we go out and live our lives in front of other people who don't necessarily share our beliefs as though we really don't believe there's power in his word. In fact, we'll say, by one word, he can create the universe. But when he says the word, such as, hey, don't let your sexual imagination run wild about someone you're not married to. Or, hey, don't, don't be obsessed with material things. Don't be so focused on getting more and more stuff. Or, hey, if you're going to follow me, I expect you to tell other people about the difference that I've made in your life. When we don't take those words seriously in our life, how can we expect other people to take it seriously that we believe that by one word he created this universe? See, I think that you could put Genesis 1-1 in every science book in our country, but the what best way to make people know that there is a God is by living our lives as though we truly believe that Jesus is greater than all. All right, let's go back to the buffet for serving number two. Verse 18. He 
still Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that all th- in all things he might have the supremacy. You remember maybe taking the SATs or back in grade school, there would be analogy questions. Something like, if we were doing it in my house, it would be like, air is to survival as iPad is to 10-year-olds. Like, maybe if those questions give you anxiety, I just want to let you know, believe it or not, they took analogy questions out of the SATs in 2005 because they didn't have any relevance to life. You can look it up. But Paul is writing an analogy question. And the challenge with the analogy question is just trying to def- def- determine what is the relationship of the analogy. Well, in this case, he's saying that head is the body as Jesus is the church in that the head is the source of life or the body is dependent upon the head for physical life just as the church body is dependent upon Jesus, the head, for spiritual life. You've got to remember, Paul's writing this during the time of the Roman Empire. It was an extremely brutal time to live. And I think he might be leveraging the fact that some of his readers had witnessed a beheading. And and they, in their heads, had that graphic, graphic image that I won't describe, but that you can picture. And he's saying, "You, you remember what happens to the body when the head is removed, how quickly life ends. He's saying, hey, church, I just want you to know, if Jesus stops being your head, your life as a spiritual body is going to cease really, really quickly. But let me give you a little bit of a different analogy that examines another side of this and is far less gory than I can actually put on the screen. Jesus is the head of the church. And the head is not just the source of life, but the head is, head is sort of like the identifying marker. If you want to know whose body someone is, you look at their head. That's their face. That's their identity. A few months ago, the TV network Fox released a new show based on its masked singer called The Masked Dancer. Maybe you've seen this show. The premise is that they get celebrities, but no one knows who they are because they dress them up in a costume and cap it off with a mask. If you know who Tulip is, don't tell me after church. We haven't watched all the episodes yet. And judges, they're watching these people in costumes with masks on dance. And based on the dance movements and based on some clues, they're trying to figure out whose identity is that. Well, you're smart enough to know, well, you can't tell who someone is just based on their dance without seeing their head. So it makes for some really funny television, but I think it really makes for a good analogy for us as a church. Because church, we can become like a masked dancer. See, church life can become all about what the body does, about the dance, about how the arms move and how the legs move and how the rest of the body moves. And as long as the dance looks good, it really doesn't matter who the head is or who the identity is. For instance, let me give you an example. It can become all about the Sunday morning experience. You might say, well, how, how was church today? Oh, it was good, I guess. I mean, the preacher was a little bit long in his second point, and it's kind of cold. Why do they have the air conditioner on in March? And they ran out of mints at the Welcome Center. I hope they get them by next week. And, and it's really about the experience. Or it could be all about meeting needs. I come here as long as my needs are met. For instance, if there's, if there's not a program for 32-year-olds who drive Ford trucks and take their coffee black or left-handed and are free on Tuesday nights, we better start that ministry because 
They're not going to come here if we don't have it. Or, and I want to be really delicate how I say this, church can become all about the relationships and just about the relationships. In other words, it can be, as long as my friends are there, I want to be there, but if my friends aren't there, I, I, I don't think I'm going to come. And all of these things are important. We want Sunday morning to be well done. We want to have programs that meet people's spiritual needs, and we want community. We want relationships to take place in our church. But Paul's reminding us that these things are body things. They're dance parts. They're part of church life, but they're not the head. Jesus is the head of the body. And the dance we do as a church body is not meant to conceal an identity. It's meant to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ because church, Jesus is our identity and making him supreme is our mission. And that's why Paul says here, he says that in all things, in all things, he might have the supremacy. He's saying, Jesus is the one who is to be supreme in all things. And if you're part of a church body, that's your number one mission, is seeking Jesus as supreme. You know, I want to share with you how this preaches to me. Because as I was studying this this week, I, I feel like God pointed something out to me. As you'll know, as you probably figured out, like I'm going to have more chances to come up here and share God's word with you and to preach on Sunday morning. And, and so as I was reading through this, I felt like God spoke to me. And I'll just share with you because you have insecurities just like I do. He, he, he was saying, okay, what's going to happen whenever your insecurities are in conflict with your mission to make Jesus supreme in your preaching? For instance, you know, I want you to like me. I want you to think the sermons are good. But what's going to happen? Am I on Sunday morning going to focus, be focused on making you like me and trying to, trying to make you think sermons are good? Or is my mission every Sunday going to be, whatever happens, Jesus is supreme. Whatever happens, I want people to know that he is the head. He is greater than all. You know, I, I want to talk about comfortable things most of the time. I, I want to talk about things we can all agree on. But if you read your Bible, you're going to know that, man, there's things in the, this Bible that they're, they're like as uncomfortable as a long-tailed cat in a rocking chair room. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes. So am I going to avoid that, or am I going to make Jesus supreme? Same is true for you. If you call CAC your church family, your mission here is to make Jesus supreme. So I ask you, why are you here? Are you here just to have your needs met? Are you here just because, hey, Sunday mornings are good, and as long as they stay good, I'll keep coming back? Are you here just because your friends go to church here? My prayer is that when people walk into our church for the first time, yes, that they will say, man, there's some friendly people there. Man, those, those ministries are good. My kids had a great time in the children's program. They say, yes, Sunday mornings, God uses them to speak to my life, but most of all, I pray that when people walk into our church, they're going to say, those people are all about Jesus. All I hear is Jesus, 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 Jesus. In fact, if they had to summarize it, they would say, Jesus is greater than all the other things about that church. That's the kind of church Paul is saying we want to be. 
And we won't be that kind of church unless Jesus becomes greater than all areas of our life. Okay, final, final serving here. Verse 17. Paul writes this. He says, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. So here's my guess. When you came in this morning, you maybe didn't know we'd be talking about the universe or sort of this big picture of the church. So you probably weren't driving in thinking, I hope the universe holds together today. Maybe you weren't thinking anything because you got up an hour early. You probably figured God's still, he's got it. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I hope God shows up to work today. I hope he turned his clock forward so he remembers to get up early and hold the universe together. And you probably weren't coming in here thinking, I hope someone's still in charge of the church. I hope, I hope the building's there. You probably figured somebody was on top of that as well. In fact, when you came in this morning, you probably had some other things on your mind. Things that applied to your life. If you remember last week, we talked about the greater thans than that the Colossi church was facing, and we put a, an equation up on the screen. And on one side was the church, and on the other side was all these problems, their culture and their re- local religions, the Roman Empire. And we said, man, they were facing things that were just greater than them. They felt so much bigger than what they could handle. My guess is at some point this morning or this past weekend, you did an equation in your life, and there was something on your side of the equation that just felt greater than you. You felt like it was pulling on you and maybe pulling your life apart. What's, what's on your side of the equation? Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to step out, like we talked about last week, like a Epaphras, and do something God's calling you to do, but you feel like you're getting no applause and just attacked, and you're thinking, God, why did you get me into this? Maybe you're a parent who has a child who's just really making destructive choices, and you're concerned, you, you, you know you can't control them, and, and really you're afraid that at some point you're going to get a phone call that you've just been dreading. Maybe you're somebody who's a caretaker, and you're taking care of somebody who's physically unwell or, or maybe emotionally unwell. And, and you're just overwhelmed. It just feels so much bigger than you. What's on your side of this equation? What's your question mark? What's your greater than? Is it a number on a credit card statement? Is it some papers that you've been served? Is it a, a letter on an exam? Maybe it's a test result. Whatever your greater than is, I want you to know this today, that Paul's words here in Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. They're not just about the universe, and they're not just about the church. They're about your life as well. When I was studying this, there was, uh, there was a word that I came across that was really cool. You see, the Greek word for this statement, hold together, is the word sin hestemi. It's really a breakdown of two words, sin and hestemi, which in English both translate sin means with, and hestemi means stand. And when we put them together, it says withstand. See, in your life, you probably have some things that you're trying to withstand. You have some things that you're trying to hold it together through. Maybe even in your life you made statements like, I'm going to start working harder. Boy, I'm going I'm to stop spending. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start praying. I'm going to stop doubting. I'm going to start having joy 
I'm going to stop looking at porn. You've got some things that you know that need to take place in your life, and you've been trying to stand up against them, or you withstand them by yourself. I want, I want you to see Paul's point here. Maybe the two most important words in this verse are in him. In him. You see, when you try to withstand by yourself, you're standing alone, and you cannot withstand. And the greater the ends in your life will consume you. But Paul is saying that when you stand in him, you can withstand because Jesus stands with you. When you stand in him against the greater things in your life, Jesus says, you don't have to go it alone. Let me stand with you. Let, let me be in it with you. Be in me, live in him so he can live in you and stand with you. So I just want to ask you today, what are you standing against? Are you, are you tired of standing by yourself? Jesus doesn't want you to stand alone. He, he wants to stand with you and help you withstand. He wants to stand with you and hold all things together in your life. So I want to, I want to ask you, if there's something in your life you're standing against, Will you let Jesus stand with you? As your church family, we want to stand with you as well. So I want to ask you to do something. If you have something in your life, a greater than, that you feel like you're standing all alone, but today you say, I want Jesus to stand with me, I ask you, will you stand right now where you're at? And I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. So if that's you, please stand. If you're standing against something and you're tired of standing against it by yourself, and you say, Jesus, I want you to stand with me. I ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray for you. And the rest of the CAC family, as you see folks all around this room standing, you pray for those who are standing. Don't let them stand alone. Be the body of Jesus. Pray for them. We pray for you now. Jesus, we thank you that you are greater than all. We thank you that we don't have to stand alone. We thank you not just that you have this immense power to create the entire universe, but, that, but you care about us individually. That's maybe the craziest thing that I've ever heard. Yet we know it's true because you demonstrated it. You stood with us on the cross. You stood for us. Now you're going to stand with God, I pray for those who are standing around this room that in their lives right now, they will feel your presence. Whatever their greater than that they are facing is, God, that they will know that they are not alone. Jesus is there with them. Let them lean into Jesus for support. Fill them with Jesus' strength. Give them Jesus' perspective, Jesus' courage, Jesus' power. So that with Jesus, they can stand. With Jesus, they can know their lives will be held together pray that Jesus will be greater than all in every situation that is represented in this room. In Jesus' great name I pray. Amen. If you're seated, I want to invite you also to stand. We're going to close in a time of worship. See, Jesus is greater than all, and because he is greater than all, we can sing to him and remember that he is the great I Am. Would you join with us in singing?